Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, I'm one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and I'm one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. This week we're going to be doing an episode on neonatal thrombocytopenia. This is the first of a two-parter. One of our Dragon Bites hosts, Dr. Mega Jagger, was joined by consultant paediatric haematologist Dr. Indu Thakur to discuss this topic. Now it's worth bearing in mind that they do discuss treatment, investigation and management and how this works might vary depending on where you are and also depending on the time you listen to this podcast because things do change as evidence comes to light. Anyway, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees and anyone interested in child health. I am Megha, one of the paediatric trainees in Wales and also a presenter of Dragon Bites. This week, we will talk about newborn thrombocytopenia and I am joined by Dr. Indut Hakur, a renowned paediatric hematologist in University Hospital of Wales and also an honorary clinical lecturer of Cardiff University. Welcome, Indu. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. To begin with, I would like to ask you a basic question. What is thrombocytopenia? So thrombocytopenia by definition is a platelet count lower than normal. And some people may be under the assumption that um, if it's a preterm baby, then they are allowed to have low, uh, low platelet counts. And that's not true because fetal studies have demonstrated that by the um, second trimester, uh, fetuses have platelet counts of 150 or above. So any platelet count less than 150 technically is thrombocytopenia in a newborn, irrespective of gestational age. Okay. Um, that is interesting to know that the normal platelet threshold for a neonate, a preterm neonate, a term neonate and adults is all the same. Yeah. Um, so let's start with the case then. Um, it is a hypothetical case. Say we have a two-year-old, term, two-day-old term baby who had a full blood count done as part of workup for neonatal jaundice and was noted to have isolated thrombocytopenia with a platelet count of 90. Um, what specific history is important to be explored here? So my first question would be, was there any history of preeclampsia in the mother? because that would suggest uh, bone marrow suppression in the fetus leading to um, thrombocytopenia. Um, I would want to know from mum what the antenatal screening showed in terms of congenital infections. Uh, when she had scans, were there any anomalies picked up? Uh, because chromosomal anomalies can present with different features. Um, then I would ask the mum about history of ITP in her um, or any other autoimmune problems in mum. If there is history of ITP in mum, then I would specifically ask about splenectomy because in that situation, you might find that um, the screening FPC of the mum is normal because she's undergone splenectomy, but that doesn't rid her of her baseline ITP. So there's still a chance those antibodies will cross and affect the baby. I would also want to know if there's any family history of low platelets. Uh, so although inherited thrombocytopenias are not a common finding in neonatal unit, um, they are common enough as a problem in pediatric hematology. So it's important to check if there's any family history of low platelets. 
very interesting. The the very interesting point was about splenectomy in ITP mums um, because the antibodies are still there, but mums platelets are normal. So we can we should not assume that baby's platelets will be normal based on mums platelets. Um, and followed by history, if we move on to the examination, then what are the specific features in examination that we are looking for? So again, signs of sepsis. So always think um, acquired co uh, causes first. And again, infections are one of the commonest problems we see because mum may be harboring group B streptococcus and that may give rise to an early onset um, thrombocytopenia because of consumption. So I would look for signs of sepsis in the baby. See if the child has polycythemia. I know most neonates have a high PCV, but if it's um, above the normal range for that baby, that may again suggest placental insufficiency. So you can have polycythemia and thrombocytopenia hand in hand, just as a manifestation of uh, placental insufficiency. Uh, I would want to look for dysmorphic features, suggesting any chromosomal anomalies. Downs is quite a common cause uh, of dysmorphism and thrombocytopenia that you would see in units and other conditions like Edwards, Patau's can also have all these. Uh, I would look for hemangiomas on the skin uh, because that may suggest that there are some hemangiomas in the internal organs. And if you have a huge hemangioma in the liver, then you can have a Kassebach Merritt syndrome where you have a consumptive thrombocytopenia happening because the platelets um, sort of uh, are um, consumed in a subclinical DIC that's happening in the hemangioma. So those are the sorts of uh, features I would want to look for in examination. Okay. So um, that has taken us to a, a big bunch of differential diagnosis, starting from sepsis or DIC um, and going on forward to placental insufficiency, autoimmune thrombocytopenia, Kasselbeck Merritt syndrome, um, and others. Yeah. Um, what further investigations would we be doing um, as part of our workup? So I think a thorough clinical evaluation to see if you can pinpoint towards any of the causes. And then if you find a specific cause, if there is a treatment available for it. So in sort of, you know, in terms of placental insufficiency, that it's, it's just going to take its time to recover. Most of the times, if your thrombocytopenia is purely because of placental insufficiency, you reach a nadir of platelet count around day four to five of life, and then it starts recovering by day seven to ten. So there's no specific management needed in that case. And clearly, if you find group B streptococcal infection, then your prime target is the infection itself, and you treat it with antibiotics and monitor the platelet counts. Um, and most neonatal units will have their thresholds for low platelet count for when they would transfuse based on the gestational age. So clearly an unwell uh, preterm baby, if it also has group B streptococcal sepsis, then I would anticipate you would top up with platelets if they're less than 25. Uh, I don't know if the unit um, out here has a different threshold, but that's roughly the unit, um, that's roughly the threshold you see. Um, so, like for anemia, thrombocytopenia is not a diagnosis. It is a sign of another underlying diagnosis. So, the challenge is always to reach the diagnosis. Um, and in terms of differentiating between the differentials that you've discussed, um, 
I think the history and examination would help you. For sepsis, you've got your full blood count, septic screen, CRP, all of that aiding you. Um, you and in terms of maternal ITP, uh, again, it would be mainly based on the history because antiplatelet antibodies are not a test that are practically available. Uh, but if it's an otherwise well baby with an incidental pickup of thrombocytopenia based on mother's history of ITP, then again, in that situation, you would monitor your full blood count on a daily basis, at least in the first week of life, and see how low it goes. And then, as I mentioned, the transfusion thresholds vary depending on the clinical scenario and the gestational age of the baby. Uh, for a full term, I think your thresholds of uh, transfusion would be higher. You wouldn't transfuse so easily. Um, so if it's an autoimmune, do you understand the difference between autoimmune and alloimmune? Um, I would love to know more about it. Okay. So autoimmune basically means that you develop an antibody to an antigen that you have on your own cell. So in terms of neonatal ITP, which is uh, autoimmune, it would mean mom had antibodies to her platelets. The baby will acquire the same antigens from mom. So the autoantibodies that are attacking the mom's platelets will also attack the baby's platelets because they get passed through the placenta. So that's autoimmune ITP. Alloimmune means you're reacting to an antigen that you don't have on your own cell. So in the neonatal context, what it means is that, you know, like how we have the ABO antigens and RH antigens on our red cells, there are different antigens on platelet surfaces as well. So in neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia, what happens is that mom has one set of antigens on her platelets and dad has a completely different set of antigens on his platelets that mom doesn't share. Um, so the baby is likely to have antigens from both mom and dad because there's 50-50 transmission from each set of parents, isn't it? So the mom can make antibodies to the antigens on dad's platelets that she doesn't have. That's why it's an alloimmune antibody. And clearly that can cross the placenta and then attack, attack the fetus. So it's not just neonatal, but you can have even fetal affection with the alloimmune thrombocytopenia. And interestingly, unlike RH, uh, this can happen even in first pregnancy in up to 40 to 50% of cases. So um, all hematologists will have come across cases where there was just an incidental pickup of an intracranial hemorrhage in a well-term baby, and then investigations revealed that this was a case of Nate P. That's how it, that's, that is one of the commoner presentations of Nate P. Have I clarified that well enough, or do you want me to repeat anything? Yes, no, I think that is, um easy to understand now that you've explained it, that autoimmune thrombocytopenia means that mum has antibodies against her own antigens, which get transferred down to the baby. And alloimmune thrombocytopenia means mum has developed antibodies to the antigens that mum did not have in herself, but the baby has got those antigens from dad. 
and hence mom, when mom develops the antibodies they get transferred to the through placenta affecting the baby correct so say that we repeat the full blood count again um in 24 hours time and um it it follows a pattern where it reduces further and then in a couple of days time it comes back to normal um the baby has remained clinically well and there were no signs of infection we have also tested the baby for sep- sepsis and the septic screen was negative um which now if correct me if i'm wrong the common differentials that come to our mind now are placental insufficiency and autoimmune thrombocytopenia because after reaching a nadir the platelets have now come back up uh yeah probably placental insufficiency more likely because with autoimmune um thrombocytopenia they can actually linger the antibodies can linger in your system for up to 12 weeks so you would see that the platelet count comes up a bit it doesn't normalize but it can stay at that level for weeks that's more like an autoimmune thrombocytopenia situation so if the platelets recover it's more likely to be placental insufficiency are there case do we see many cases with placental insufficiency where we have to transfuse platelets very unlikely okay and once the baby is out of that insufficiency situation and um getting enough nutrients and enough blood supply in her in his or her body parts the the cause has been taken away and hence why the bone marrow starts producing the megacytes yeah. yeah. that lovely um now coming down to autoimmune thrombocytopenia then uh, i think you have explained the pathophysiology very well um, it is maternal antibodies against maternal antigens that get passed on to the baby um how long does the nadir take to to be achieved in most cases so the nadir of platelet count would be reached within a week and you might see a mild recovery um so you may not need to transfuse this patient at all uh, more often than not it's a case of doing a daily platelet count in the first week of life and you will see the drop by day 4 5 at the lowest so let's say your case presented with a count of 90 and you may drop down to maybe 60 50 but then by day 7 10 it's coming up to 90 again and you may see that it persists at this level of 90 uh, for 3 to 4 months but the baby is well thriving gaining milestones feeding everything is going as expected and it's just that the platelet count stays low and once the maternal antibodies get cleared from the system say by 6 months you would expect their platelet count to have normalized in such cases um but if the platelet count is not going less than 50 so there is no need to transfuse and there is no bleeding externally or internally that we have noted um is it safe to discharge the baby and do the full blood counts as an outpatient and when would we um refer the baby to a hematologist in such cases would we ever need to if you had to intervene in any other way let's say you know your nadir fell to say 25 then that would make us uncomfortable isn't it in which case we would give this baby ivig 
and total dose is 2 grams per kilogram and you can do it either as 1 gram per kilogram over 2 days or you can do 0.5 per kilogram over 4 days. So if you land up having to treat the baby with IVIG for autoimmune thrombocytopenia, then that would be a good reason to refer to hematology. Um, if um, the count sort of stays at around 90 uh, and there are no other reasons you could identify and we're pretty confident this is autoimmune thrombocytopenia, the baby doesn't really need to see a pediatric hematologist. Mm. Okay. Um, if we have... If we are suspecting autoimmune thrombocytopenia in a baby, uh, would mum always have low platelets or a history of ITP? You should have. And the reason for saying that is if you don't get a history and then you're not 100% confident that this is autoimmune, in which case that would change your decision whether or not this patient needs to see a hematologist. So if there's any doubt, then clearly... The patient needs to be seen by a hematologist to ensure um, all the other differentials are covered as well and we investigate. Is there a specific investigation for autoimmune thrombocytopenia? No, no. As I mentioned, no one actually does antiplatelet antibodies. As in adults with ITP, um, adults and children with ITP, we have these new um, recombinant thromboplastin type factors that we can give. Um, is, is there a role in neonates as well? Um, no one has investigated this so far. I've only come across one report of romiplostin being used in a neonate for um, you know, an immune thrombocytopenia. Um, the commonest one we use is L-thrombopag, which is an oral tablet. It's not available in suspension form. You can't crush the tablets and put it in anything else. And there are dietary restrictions around it. You can't have dairy or calcium-containing products four hours prior to meals and two hours after meals. So clearly, it just rules it out for a neonate, isn't it? Because they're predominantly milk-fed. So L-thrombopag, for that reason can't be used even if it is effective because of these considerations. Uh, Romiplostum is a subcutaneous injection given once a week, but it hasn't been trialed in the setting yet. In fact, um, when I was speaking to a representative from the pharmaceutical that produces Romiplostum, I did suggest to them that they should consider running trials in the setting. Uh, but no, so far we don't have any evidence and there are no trials. There's only one case report I've come across. Okay, interesting. Thank you. And I wanted to say thank you to both Dr. Indu Thacker and to Dr. Megha Jacker for recording that episode for us. Join us again next week for the second half of this episode. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.